This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Career Talk, a new podcast series by The Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. At Career Talk, we help you take charge of your own career and make your ambition pay off. I'm your host, Dae Hong Yi. We all know Singapore is an island nation. With that comes an abundance of waterways, upon which sails a maritime sector that has been central to the Republic's development since before even Sir Stamford Raffles stepped foot here. The maritime sector, by necessity, forges on despite climate change, geopolitical tensions and other stresses, reinventing itself constantly. It is, naturally, searching for local talent to power this reinvention. With me here to share about the past, present and future of Singapore's maritime story and the role Singaporean talent can play is Ms Tan Beng Ti, Executive Director of the Singapore Maritime Foundation. Joining her is Mr Kent Hing, a product owner at Swire Shipping. It's great to have a veteran like you here, Beng Ti, to guide us through the unsung but critical maritime sector. And I also want to thank you, Kent, for agreeing to share about your role and your experience as a young talent in the sector. So, Bengti, let's start with you. You played a pivotal role in growing Singapore as a leading international maritime centre. How did your journey in the industry first begin? And what made you stay? Thanks, Hongi. I first joined the public service after graduation. And as part of job rotation, I was then rotated to join the shipping department in the then Trade Development Board. At that time, my role was um, quite regulatory, so we look at balancing the interest between ship owners as well as uh, shippers. But over time, and in the late 1980s and 1990s, we decided to take a fresh look at what we're doing, and we decided that we would like to grow Singapore into an international maritime centre. That started a really very challenging journey for me, because um, we begin to shape policies and we start looking at what is it that we have that we could actually leverage on and strategize and build Singapore into an international maritime centre. At that time, we are known for being a global hub port, but less known for being an international maritime centre. So we begin this uh, program of uh, attracting ship owners and operators to Singapore. And today we've got more than 170 shipping groups that are based in Singapore. And I'm glad to also share that we have actually grown a, a maritime ecosystem in Singapore now that comprises the ports, the uh, international shipping companies, the shipbrokers, the marine insurance, as classification societies, maritime lawyers, and a whole host and array of activities surrounding the maritime sector. Why do I continue to stay in the maritime sector? I, I find it to be really, really challenging because uh, you shape policies, you look at things that are happening, and above all, you make friends with uh, some of the companies that you brought them to Singapore. And it's also very gratifying to know that by doing that, you're also creating jobs for Singaporeans. And I really like that you shared about that suite of businesses and services. It's not just being sailors. I think there's a bit of a misperception that the maritime sector is just sailing when there's a huge host of supporting roles and services that individuals can play in an entrepot like Singapore. And that's something that we hope to showcase to our listeners today. So with that in mind, Kent, perhaps could you tell us more about what you do as a product owner at your company? Did you always have your sights set on this career in the maritime sector? Thanks, Hongi. So as a product owner in my company, I work together with my business stakeholders and also the end users to actually create applications or even like mobile apps that help to streamline their work processes 
or to <coughs> make work more efficient and less manual. And this also brings about collating more data for better analytics and also help them to make faster decisions and also better decisions. And I also work together with my developers, uh, designers, to create all these easy-to-use products for them to use. So I think a lot of people in shipping don't really come from shipping background. I think that's what I found throughout my years of experience. And likewise, I also came from a background where I studied economics. And this wasn't kind of on my radar, but I found it through my university job portal. And I came to know about this program that uh, Swire Shipping is offering. And I decided to take a leap of faith and say, hey, let's try this new sector, or rather not new, but new to me, <laughs> and see how it takes me. Because again, as a young graduate, um, you have a lot of different options. And this is something I don't mind trying for a few years and see where that takes me. So how long ago was this? Um, this was around seven years ago now. And yeah, I'm glad to say I'm still in my first job. So could you share with us with, you know, anecdotes, if you have any, what are the most satisfying aspects of your job as a product owner? So I think the most satisfying things is actually seeing your ideas come into life. So I have had the opportunity of being able to travel around the world to actually speak to my end users who are actually colleagues in a company. And I came to understand all the different struggles that they do on a day-to-day basis. And this is where I come together with them collaborate and discuss potential digital solutions we can try to develop to help them with all these uh, mundane tasks. And I think what is really satisfying is to be from the start to the end process or the whole cycle, go through the different uh, iterations to eventually come up with a working product or app that actually transforms the way that they work. And that to me uh, lets you take ownership of that and have that great sense of satisfaction that is not really found in a lot of our jobs out there. So perhaps could you share with us one such digital solution that you helped to spearhead and how it changed the workflow drastically? So maybe one example I could give is um, when I was working with an operations team in a developing country, uh, I found out that they were actually writing all the timings of the arrival of the ships on piece of paper and even on whiteboard besides their desk. And this is very natural to them because this is what they have been doing for years and years and years. And I thought to myself, hey, this is a very quick win we can implement here. So I took the inspiration from the airport, you know, arrival departure screens. Those are the first thing that you will see when you enter the airport. So I kind of want to take that concept and implement it in the local offices. So anybody, not just the operations team, they come into the office, they see a big TV, they immediately know what ships are coming in, what time they're coming in, and any updates to their arrival and departure. So to be able to digitally transform that sort of mundane yet simple task into something that is fully automated, updated, real-time, I think that is one of the biggest accomplishments I've done for a country that is not in Singapore, an office that is struggling to improve their digital maturity. So you mentioned that you studied economics in university. Was it a difficult jump from that academic background in university into the shipping sector? And was there any training to help you bridge that transition? So for my first um, department, so to speak, it was actually tapping on my econ's background. So when my managers brought me into the company, they looked at my CV and they said, hey, 
you will be a great fit for looking at shipping economics, just studying, again, supply and demand of the commodities that flow in shipping, right? When you look at raw materials like grains, iron ores and all that. So I was able to tap on that kind of uh, macroeconomic skills that I've learned and apply it into a real-world scenario such as this. So it wasn't too big of a challenge to transit into that. And along the way, I have had you know, opportunities to actually study some shipping causes. And that's also with the help and funding of MPA and other establishments such as that. And that helped to boost um, what I know about shipping. And also, again, the friendly colleagues and the different parties that you interact with, not just internal but externally, who are always very willing to share knowledge about shipping. And that really helped to create a very solid foundation to which I can build on to my subsequent roles after that. Thanks, Kent, for sharing with us how the transformation in one small slice of this big sector is going on. So perhaps now is a good time f- uh, for me to turn back to you, Bing Ti. How is the industry as a whole transforming itself? And why is this transformation required? I think uh, if you reflect back at what Ken said, he's using a lot of data. People perceive the industry to be very traditional and like what he said, very paper-driven. But today the industry is changing and the industry is changing because they're driven by factors uh, such as digitalization and decarbonization and above all, what your customers are demanding. So uh, we are seeing a lot more companies uh, looking at how they can actually improve uh, productivity, how they could actually use technology to help them in the work. And also in the face of uh, decarbonization, the need to look for alternative fuels. Those are issues that the industry are looking at. And along the way, they will have to prepare themselves to embrace some of these trends to come. So how does this transformation then influence the jobs in demand and the skills required in the industry in Singapore? We could see some new skills that are required. So for example, data analytics, and then with um, new fuel type, I think a little bit of knowledge for everybody on chemistry would actually do everyone some good. Then um, machine learning, AI, green financing, all these will be skills that will come about. I also had discussion with some of the shipping companies on what the skills that are required. And uh, interestingly, uh, many of them uh, said soft skills are also growing in importance. So that is also an area that we need to look at because besides head knowledge uh, that you're gaining from school, there's such a thing called communication. And if you're able to communicate well with both your peers, your stakeholders, as well as your customers, that would be very important. Thanks, Bing Ti. So what is the Singapore Maritime Foundation's role in this transformation and how does it work with industry to encourage young Singaporeans to pursue careers in the maritime sector? So we would like to do, first of all, to bring the invisible to visible. So like Hong Yi, you know, just now you're saying that you didn't realise that was such an array of uh, job opportunities in Singapore. So we need to bring that story up front, which means that we need to create awareness about what the whole maritime ecosystem is. It is beyond the port, it's beyond the shipyard, and it's beyond the ships that you, you can see. Uh, so how do we actually work with the private sector to bring this story to tell the students? So together with the private sector, uh, we actually created programs. So one will be scholarship. So um, the private sectors are very forthcoming to train talents. So they offer scholarships to the students. And then in the process, they also offer internship. The beauty about internship is that it brings to life 
subjects that you learn in school or it brings to life job opportunities that you are not aware of. And we also have uh, things like business case challenge, whereby together with the industry, we come up with problem statements on business challenges and then digital challenges. Again, what the students uh, can gain from this is application of knowledge that they learn in school and mentoring by the personnel from the companies. They then learn to apply skills to some of the problems on hand. And for some of the students, uh, when they win the case, they start posting on LinkedIn. And, and that is really perfect because uh, it actually allows ground-up movement and it then sells the story of Maritime further to the peers of the students. And we really like that. Yes, and I would imagine to really expose people to the fact that the workplaces are not just in Tuas, they're not just in the Tanjung Paga shipyard. It's, it's really yes, beyond it's that. even in the city centre, in the financial district. Yes, so perhaps could you share with us the sort of, because you mentioned therefore there's all these initiatives. Have you seen success in expanding that pipeline to the companies? Have the companies reported seeing more candidates, better candidates with better knowledge of the sector coming in? Uh, yes, we, we have seen traction, for example, in the scholarships that we offer. Last year, we actually awarded 54 scholarships and the companies contributed 1.7 million. That is not a small sum for the industry to come collectively forward. We've also seen a growing interest in um, some of these events that we organise, including the case competitions. So even for case competitions, the students that compete are from polytechnic to the undergraduates in the universities. What is also very rewarding is that when we did our Own Your Future, the reason why we do Own Your Future is actually to bring the jobs alive to the students. Uh, and we use real-life examples. One example is Kent here, you know, to tell about the job that he's doing so that students can relate. The problem is that if students cannot relate to a particular job or they cannot relate to the industry, then it is lost opportunities for us, which means that they will never step into the industry. So Own Your Future is a campaign that we've done to open the minds of the students, create awareness, to tell them about the array of jobs that are in the maritime sector. So with this Own Your Future campaign, what are some of the avenues that you all have engaged students through this campaign? One of them will be in-campus talks. The other interesting area that we have done was uh, in order to attract the students to join some of our programs, we also came up with the ultimate VIP challenge whereby we wanted to encourage the students to put up good resume. And uh, from there, we chose students uh, for prizes and to have um, an experience about dining with a CEO of a company. Uh, so Merce was one of the CEOs that we had uh, for the first uh, run. And uh, we had overwhelming response. And the students were very thrilled to be able to visit the ship and have uh, a lunch with uh, Mr. Rene Patterson to talk about the maritime sector. And above all, they had a Lego set of the Merce ship. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to our conversation on manpower in Singapore's maritime sector with my guest, Ms. Tan Bing-Ti, Executive Director of the Singapore Maritime Foundation, and Mr. Kent Heng, Product Owner at Swire Shipping. So what's clear to me is how coordinated and collaborative the private sector is. It's not just about competing with each other on the market. It's about building the pipeline for everyone to draw from. 
I guess we could say that we are all on the same boat. The companies are all on the same boat for the maritime sector. And so, Kent, let me just turn to you again. Having worked in maritime for seven years, like you said, what compels you to stay? Thanks, Songyi. I think this is uh, also speaking for a lot of my colleagues as well, is that I think shipping by its own nature is very interconnected and it's also a very global industry. So what that means is that there are really a lot of different opportunities available, both uh, internally in Singapore and also globally as well. So depending on your preference, um, there is really so many different roles you can try. Just to give a bit of example, so let's say you start off in a very operational track and after a few years, you know, you want to try something new. It is also very easy and natural for you to hop into another department. So let's say for commercial. And having that operational background actually puts you at a more competitive advantage because you know about constraints, working with the ships, and that lets you maybe sell better and compete against other you know, competitors out there in the market. And also that being said, I think just adding on to what Bing Ti also mentioned is that there is also a lot of uh, opportunities given by uh, SMF and MPA in terms of upscaling as well. So there are different funds that we can tap into to do more causes to improve ourselves. And the visibility on the different roles in different companies also help to that. And it's also very natural to pivot to different shipping companies. And given that Singapore is a global maritime hub, there are a lot of uh, either HQs or regional offices situated in Singapore. So there is really a lot of space you can move around within the industry. And I can safely say that you will never be bought in that sense. International exposure, traveling for work are the norm in, the in, in this industry a lot more than other industries, I would imagine. So this is a question that goes to the both of you. You can decide who wants to answer first. Are there any specific challenges or common misconceptions that the industry is currently facing to attract talent? And how is SMF addressing them? Or how are you addressing it in your personal capacity, Kent? And is conveying how the work of the maritime industry benefits Singapore at large something that is of particular challenge? I would say that um, there are two mis misconceptions that the public generally has. One is that you must, it is a technical industry, so you must have technical knowledge in order to join the industry. But as Ken has uh, said earlier, there are many types of companies in Singapore. So it can be a ship owner operator, it can be a ship manager, or it can be an insurance broker, or it can be a ship broker, or it can be a financier. So you do not really need to have technical knowledge per se to join the sector. In fact, Ken's is a, a very good testimony. He's an econ student and he joined the maritime sector. So I wanted to, in a way, pass on the message that joining the maritime sector does not require a technical degree. There are opportunities in the maritime sector for other jobs. That's one. Second is um, about going to sea. People thought that by going to sea, that's it. You know, you will be going to sea for life. But that is not true because from sea, you can transit to shore. So some of the captains and chief engineers, they can come back to shore uh, should they decide to, you know, at, at some point of their life cycle, they want to come back to shore. They can join the shipping companies at shore. So they can take the role of superintendents or for some of the master mariners, the captains, they can even take another, say, a, a degree in law and they can do arbitration or they can join a law firm. So there are opportunities. Uh, so I just, again, wanted to relay the fact that having a seagoing career 
doesn't mean that your career will always be at sea. There's always a transition to shore. And I would imagine the flip side of that is that just because you join the maritime sector doesn't mean you have to go to sea at all. That's right. That's right, indeed. Are there any common misconceptions you have heard from peers, friends and family? Yes, definitely. I think one of the most common ones is that shipping is a very traditional and boring industry to be in. And people usually go after the shiny things. Let's say like fintech, for example. And they feel like there isn't a lot of opportunities in shipping. Um, but I beg to defer. I would say that in shipping, you have a lot of opportunities to actually you know, be at the forefront of new technologies. And we have seen an onsearch of different companies that are actually moving into this space where they look at adopting new technologies, be it green technology or be it like AI and so on. So there is a lot of demand for this kind of roles in the shipping industry. And you are at a very interesting space because you are potentially at the forefront, like I mentioned just now, and you can really have that sizable impact on the whole industry uh, instead of you know trying to compete in, let's say, fintech where there is already that maturity level. But in shipping, you really have a lot of flexibility to try your hands out and to grow in that space where people don't really thought that it was possible to, but it's actually very much uh, necessary. First, could the both of you share about how would you communicate the importance and the benefits that the maritime sector has actually already brought to Singapore at large? Is it very difficult to convey that sort of benefits that it brings? I think maybe one good example would be um, during the pandemic. I think a lot of things that shipping eventually enables, the end product of shipping, it's actually, again, when you go back down to the route, it's a transport of goods. And what shipping has managed to, again, time and time again, deliver is that non-stop flow of goods and cargo to the end uh, users, which could be customers, consumers like us, right? During, you know, pandemic, during wartime and whatever, all this still continues and people still get to enjoy, you know, shopping, online shopping, eating all the different food that they have. And this is kind of the unseen benefit that shipping actually brings. And a lot of people don't really understand or appreciate that because, again, they do not understand the whole supply chain of, let's say, a farm-to-table concept, right? And this is really what shipping at its heart tries to do and is still doing after hundreds of years. I just want to add on to what Ken said. The issue is that because shipping is a B2B business, so people do not really see shipping as they would have seen an airline, you know, because they travel, so they are able to associate with it. But the fact is that shipping is an industry that does not sleep. So we know that the port operate 24-7, 365. The shipping companies um, move the goods uh, worldwide. So without shipping, your supermarket shelves during COVID will not be filled. And without shipping, you cannot bring goods from one end of the world to the other end. That shows really, you know, the importance and the resilience of the industry. During COVID, air travel has to stop, but the ships move and our port continue, you know, to be a, a key transshipment port. So that is one part that I thought that maybe general public should appreciate shipping better. The other part, of course, would be the jobs that the shipping sector offers, uh, that it is diverse, uh, it is exciting, depending on what you want. Uh, you could actually literally choose some roles in the various parts of the maritime sector. So again, this is one final question to the both of you. 
that what are the tips you all have for listeners who listen to this and now they are keen to consider a career in maritime? Find out more about maritime. Come in with an open mind. The industry is global. It is an industry that offers overseas postings if you are interested. It is an industry that brings people together. So there are a lot of uh, networking. Uh, there are a lot of networks. And it's an industry that you make long-lasting friends. I would say really just try to use whatever online resources that are available out there. I mean, there's a lot of good websites, initiatives, especially done by SMF, that you can actually find out more about what shipping is and how your skill sets, be it if you're a fresh grad or let's say you have a mid-career looking for a switch, how you can actually transfer those skills into shipping. Again, I think what Bingti mentioned earlier on is that there are so many aspects of shipping that doesn't have to stem from having a shipping background. You can be from the banking and the finance sector and just moving in and just doing, let's say, in-house finance stuff. And all this is possible as well. So I would say really just take a leap of faith and you'll be surprised at you know, the window of opportunities that's out there. And I think on that note, the time is right for us to wrap up this podcast. Just wanted to first thank Ms. Tan Bing Ti for showing us how we are actually all on the same boat and local talent has a huge role to contribute to Singapore's maritime sector. Thanks, Hong Yi, for giving uh, both Kent and I this uh, opportunity to speak to the audience, to share with them what the real maritime is. And I certainly hope that uh, those listeners out there will give maritime a chance. And I would like to thank Mr. Kent Heng as well for giving us a glimpse of work in maritime as a young talent. Thanks, Hong Yi. Happy to share my experience. And I would, again, encourage people just to try it out. You never know what you'll find out. And it might be a good career switch. Well... That's a wrap for this fifth episode of Career Talk. I'm Tae Hong Yi. If you resonate with the points raised, do share this podcast episode with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you about your experiences with the maritime sector and whether you'd work in it. You can also get more career and personal finance tips in the latest edition of ST's Head Start newsletter. We have all the links in our show notes. I'll be back on the second Monday of every month with Career Talk. Thanks for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.